Hey, Will I Like It listeners, do you like a good cup of coffee, one that's rich, flavorful, and ethically sourced? Then you need to check out Dynasty of Coffee, a Yorkshire-based online coffee business that offers a range of expertly crafted blends. All of their coffee is roasted to order to ensure freshness, and they're committed to nurturing the well-being of both individuals and the planet. Whether you're a fan of a bold, strong coffee or a smooth and mellow one, Dynasty of Coffee has a blend for you. Their four main blends are inspired by different British dynasties, Saxon, Viking, Tudor, and a decaf Hanoverian. So if you're looking for a delicious and ethically sourced cup of coffee, head to dynastyofcoffee.co.uk today and use the code SAXON10, that's SAXON, all capital letters, 10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to the Will I Like It podcast. Today I'm at the Ancient Technology Centre and my guest is Ben Farnell. Hello. And the fire's about to blow all over me. (laughs) (laughs) The joys of recording. Hello, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. Um, It's actually the first time we've met today as you're running one of your uh, illuminations, is it causes? Uh, Calligraphy and illumination. So calligraphy today, illumination tomorrow. Right, okay. Um, and yeah, I've been doing butchery all day, as people know what I do already. So yeah. I'm not gonna, yeah. not gonna bore anyone. Mm-hmm. But whilst we're talking, uh, we're also gonna try and cook a recipe that's sort of loosely based on one I mentioned on a previous episode with Daniel Serra. Uh, I say loosely based because I couldn't find half the <laughs> ingredients that we needed. So we're just gonna make something similar. It's ba- I think he calls it a traveler's porridge, um, and it's basically fish heads with barley and there's some onions and vinegar and dill. Yeah, I'm, I'm dubious about the fish heads, but <laughs> I'm willing to give it a go. It'll be fine, I'm sure. If not, we'll go and finish the salt dough. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, we should probably start. We've mentioned that you do your uh, manuscripts and illumination work. Um, yeah. So start off talking about sort of what that is. and. Yeah, so, I mean, today I've been doing um, workshops. So I've been doing uh, like a calligraphy like a basic introduction into medieval calligraphy today yeah. and tomorrow I'm doing illumination which is essentially just coloring in <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should be nice um, but mainly I do um, I travel around uh, to the events medieval events that are on around south of England or uh, Midlands and I've got a little stall and mm. I sell the calligraphy and uh, illuminations that I paint myself and I write people's names on a bit of paper um, just for a donation, so whatever they want to pay for it. So it's yeah. like a you know a, a pound or two. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've been doing that now for about three years, and yeah, I'm loving it. It's um, it, it's really good. Mm. Yeah. So what made you get into that side of history? Well, I started. I mean, it's 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 a story that goes back to uh, when my daughter was little. Um, we used to go to. Um, what's it called? Lulworth Castle. Yeah. Um, Camp Festival. We used to go to Camp Festival mm. and Festival, uh, which is a great festival for uh, parents with young kids. So it, it's it's geared at that. So there's lots of stuff for kids to do. But my daughter started to get too old for all the activities there, and so we started to look around for another festival to go to. And my wife said, "Oh, there's a nice medieval festival, um, and at Hurst Monsieur Castle." Which is England's medieval festival, yeah. which um, uh, is yeah, it's it's not been running for the last couple of years, but they're, hopefully they're doing it this year in another location. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> but sorry, I've got smoke in my face. Uh, but we went to that festival, I think, probably about sort of six, seven years ago now, and mm. just went. But we could go for the whole weekend. So it was a nice thing. So we we sort of camped. And enjoyed like every every second of it. Just loved it. It yeah. was you know, it was really great. So then we went again the next year. And I think I did a calligraphy course there. They had like a little demonstration area, so you could you could have a go. Mm. And I really enjoyed it. And um, then the next year I went and we, I did it again, um, did a little bit more. And you know, each time we went, we got a little bit more involved. So first time yeah. we went, just as we just dressed normally. And the next time we went, we had like kind of costumes that we had cobbled together ourselves so they were kind of 
they, they, they weren't particularly they wouldn't pass the authenticity test yeah but yeah it was good enough and the next time we were you know a little bit more dressed up and um yeah so then uh, um pretty quickly i mean it, it it seemed to happen you know very quickly from having the idea we just wanted to get more involved and it's like well we could have a little stool we could do yeah. calligraphy and it's like we had the idea and then like the next year we were we were there doing it so um but it yeah. coincided with the beginning of the um, pandemic so yeah. we did our first show in 2020 that, that little brief lull between the first lockdown and the second lockdown mm. when things opened up a little bit and they did a, a small show at Hearst Montsieur so we 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 did it there mm. so i've really just i've gone from like nothing five years ago six years ago to being in a situation now where i'm running workshops and um you know yeah and it, it's it's a bit weird for me because there's still things that i haven't tried in my calligraphy and illumination i'm taking it slowly i'm letting things come to me you know um, not, not rushing into doing everything and just enjoying it as it comes along but you're passing on that knowledge whilst yeah, you do it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, i do um by education and um career um, i do like illustration and graphic design so okay so the calligraphy and illumination wasn't a big jump yeah for me. yeah um, and my dad was actually a calligrapher back in the 60s he worked sort of professionally as a calligrapher for the uh the records office down in Kew Gardens right. um, and I think he actually worked on like old medieval manuscripts occasionally but mm. I, unfortunately he died 20 years ago we, we never really spoke about it and I wasn't yeah. really into what he was I didn't really care what he was doing back then so <laughs> you don't know that age do you no you don't it's yeah. it's it's sad but yeah yeah it's interesting because before today we've not met but there's so many little kind of similarities in our mm stories i suppose if you like even down to you saying your dad passed away and still well my mum passed away yeah and that was around just over 20 years ago yeah and yeah just looking for these little odd synchronicities in in what you're saying and like how you got started and sort of yeah. almost yeah. fell into it that's it i mean you know teaching and my my wife and i we always enjoyed history we were, we you know we used to go to um lots of english heritage events and national trust and things we've always been Mm. Um, keen on it in that kind of way um, but never you know only as a members of public that are sort of yeah. passing interest um, um, and yeah we just I think you know if you went to a show I remember going to sort of see jousts and things at English Heritage and mm. you never think oh this is something that I know how to you know that I could th I, I always loved that sort of immersive experience of being able to go in and feel like you know yeah that you're seeing something, you know, you're seeing people living this, uh, this lifestyle that, uh, you know, seems so sort of alien and old fashioned to us. And I really enjoy, you know, any sort of situation, places like this, where you could go in and sit down and go, do you know what this, this looks and feels, um, you know, close to what it would have been like. I think that works more for a lot of people as well. Mm. You know, it's something you can smell the smoke from the fire and mm. and actually see the illuminations and that kind of yeah. just kind of I think it's more immersive for people. Yeah. Um especially kids. Yes. I think. Yes. It's quite beneficial for them. I mean that's, you know, and it, it's it's so we you know we're always going around castles and cathedrals yeah. and and things. And it's fun with kids cuz you can you know, they, they can do all the dressing up and as a yeah. dad, you can always join in. And, you know. <laughs> oh, if I have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Twist my arm, I'll, yeah. Yeah, I'll put on the, uh, the, the chain mail or something. <laughs> so that first show you did, that wasn't with a group, that was sort of independent? No, so I've never joined a reenactment group. Um, oh, that's an interesting path because most people yeah, do, don't they? Yeah, I, I, I guess the reason was I, I think I knew what I wanted to do yeah from the off and i i think we always sort of decided pretty quickly that we wanted to make it something that was a, a paying hobby yeah um and it feels a little bit you know there's certain things you have to do that you can't do with reenactors um if you're if you want to make it pay you know you have to um absolutely uh yeah you know, 
take credit cards and yeah. and the things that sort of you know I couldn't imagine going down well and also I guess mm. I'm you know my wife and myself and my daughter we're we're slightly sort of introverts I think it just if you're that kind of person that you like sitting quietly on your own painting manuscripts and writing texts and stuff you're not a, a natural um you know person to sort of just jump in cold because we didn't know anyone in the reenactment uh, uh game really so then we had no yeah. one to sort of invite us in yeah and going in cold just seems a little bit weird so we just mm. you know we just did what felt right and it was like it, it was quite simple to buy a nice medieval tent you know pull together the things we needed that we wanted to sell and and whatever and and just yeah pay your pay your pitch fee and turn up so yeah no, it's an interesting approach i think that's that is why i like i'm smoking myself now <laughs> yeah. it's why um i like these conversations because i think as well hopefully people that are watching and listening kind of wondering how they get into it yeah and see that there's not one way to do it yeah you... i think some people are quite put off by the 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 reenactment it's quite um it can seem quite cliquey from the outside, if you see what I mean. Yeah, like I mean, you, people have you... known each other for years. Yeah. 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 And also the whole authenticity police and, you know, I I don't have to stick, because I'm trading on my own, I don't have to stick to a particular era. I, I, I can fluctuate. Sure. And if, if I put on a, a tunic that's slightly poly polyestery, it's not really a problem. No one really minds except for myself. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and you know, materials I use, um, I use modern materials. Okay, you know, at certain points I use entirely modern materials. Yeah. I try and use where I can, where it's affordable and practical. I'll use medieval materials. It's expensive stuff, isn't it? it you know, I mean, and, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Parchments and pigments and gold leaf and things all start to. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned to you earlier, my wife does a bit of that, and so I know. <laughs> yeah, I know all too well the cost of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've just I bought two um, sheep skin parchments mm. from uh, William Cowley's, which are the, the posh parchment suppliers in England. Yeah. I don't know if there's any other parchment suppliers in England. They seem to be the only ones that I can find. Yeah, it is incredibly expensive to buy these these two skins. Um, and I'll, I'll get my money back once I've sort of painted them and sold them and uh, or use them for events, you know, for workshops and things. But yeah, because I think didn't you say today you had a bit of an experiment with some parchment that you had yeah. So before. Um, I have used parchment in, in the past, but if you buy it ready to go, yeah, I mean it's really expensive. The 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 last thing that I did, in fact, the, the the piece that I did, which was most expensive, it was a, a, a copy of a manuscript page by a medieval scribe called Matthew Paris, right. who was um, who was working in the middle of the 13th century. And the commission came from a professor of history at Edinburgh University, and one of his colleagues uh, was just finishing their PhD, and this page was uh, important in their PhD, so it would be, be a nice present to, to get that page copied. Sure. And sent her. So it was on a piece of parchment about that big, um, so bigger than A4 but smaller than A3. Yeah. And that one piece of parchment was seventy pounds. Mm. And you know that's that's a daunting thing. Where you know for somebody else, you, you, you've got one shot at it. You can't. You, know, you can make tiny mistakes here and there. But you can't do anything sort of particularly wrong. So yeah. yeah, and that you know you get to the stage where you think. I've got to start this. I've got to do the first pen mark on this page. And I had to kind of tell myself, do you know what? You've got this. You're good at what you do. Don't worry about it. Just, mm. yeah. I had a, I managed to get like a little test sampler from um, from the company as well chucked in. So I, I could have a quick go first with the ink that I was using and the pen that I was using. Yeah. To make sure there wouldn't be any problems. But yeah, yeah. That was, that was, that was quite a daunting task. I mean, I have used little bits of parchment on my own. It's fine. I don't have to worry about it. But, you know. When it's a commissioned work as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. But the, the nice thing is where I'm, where we're making money out of this at the weekends doing events, that does give me uh, some money to spend on these more expensive materials. So yeah. I've started using gold leaf in the last sort of year or so, um, whereas before I was just using gold inks. Mm. Um, 
uh, and yeah, say so the gold leaf is is really nice. I think you, you might be able to see it on some of these where it catches the light. Yeah, um, it really does. Yeah, it really does pop. Um, yeah, and then parchment start starting to use real parchment. This is like a a parchment like paper, mm. which is the, the the next best thing. Yeah, but it's, it's it's a fraction of the price. But I will start using real parchment, real gold. Um, I've occasionally used proper pigments, but not very often. So that's the mm. that's the next stage, and then you start. To, yeah. But the, the the problem with the pigments is you get into a they they are expensive. So things like lapis lazuli, um, yeah, is you know it's it's for a few grams. It's I don't know. It's a lot of money. If yes, you wanna, you know. I did. I I know my wife had. I'm sure she had some lapis. Yeah, and some other stuff. And I'm pretty sure it was sort of like part of a Christmas present. It was like. Yeah, a way of affording it was like yeah, yeah, get absolutely. it, and she got yeah. a bunch of powders yeah. for Christmas. Yeah, but so the, the expense is one problem with that. The the other problem is that is the to toxicity of some of these things. Um, you know, the um, yeah, the yellows are ore pigment, which is like highly highly toxic. The mm. the whites you can get like lead white and uh, lead uh, red lead lead red lead red red lead, um, which are you know highly carcinogenic you know if you, you yeah. don't give you cancer if you if you're not using you know if you're not being careful yeah um, they can still sell those can they yeah they can yeah. you can buy them or you can make them yourself so i make my own verdigris and it's the same process for making lead is, is you get uh you get some metal some mm. lead or, or copper or, or whatever it is and suspend it in a jar with some vinegar yeah maybe some salt as well salt and vinegar and just the chemical reaction, it just, just makes the crystals sort of grow on the metal. And then you sort of you scrape those off and, and grind them up and use them. Mm. So it's, 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 you know, you can do it safely. If you use masks and gloves and things, it's, it's not a problem. Um, and, I, you know, I think I'll give it a go. Because there's nothing, you can't get anything that works as well as white, as, as lead. You know, the lead white is, is uh, it's superior, but it's... Yeah. it's it's deadly and superior so <laughs> but like i said i'm you yeah. know we're, i'm i'm not exactly new to this game but i'm I'm still in in the early days of i've still got lots of stuff to experiment and try out and i don't mind taking my time doing that yeah, yeah. so how did you get into the teaching side of things what led to that um there was just through the demand of the some of the events that i go to so the Hearst Monsieur event, they did ask me if I would do some workshops um, a while, but I think the, the, the second year that we did, but that was still, there was still some lockdown issues. So even though I was doing workshops, they were sort of, they weren't pre-booked and some people, a few people turned up on, on some of them, but it wasn't really, there wasn't a great take up. I think people were still nervous about yeah. proximity to people. Um, but then I do a show uh, at Loxwood which is near Guildford, um, and that's a really big, really entertaining medieval festival that runs over two weekends. And the organisers of that asked if I would do some workshops that they could pre-sell. So mm. I had to be organised about it and say, OK, you know, yeah. this is what I'm going to do. This is how many workshops a day I'm going to do. This is how much it's going to cost, how long it's going to take, what's going to happen. Um, so I did those, and uh, it was just like a simple introductory to a basic gothic script so i would just show someone you know with with proper quills proper medieval ink um, obviously not parchment because that would be ridiculously expensive yeah but you know just to get the hang of how the how the, the ink comes off the pen and then the basic shapes that you need to to do to be able to do the alphabets simply and by the end of the like 45 minutes i've given someone the basic tools that they need to go on and and you know if they want to carry on practicing they know what they're doing it's just practicing to get the the the, the neatness and um the consistency because um, yeah i mean that's how i started so it was literally yeah. I, you know i did i sat down for sort of half an hour or so with my family and just you know copied it out and someone gives you a little bit of advice and say this is you know these are the kind of the strokes you need to do the order you need to do them and it's quite a formulaic way to write so the, the gothic mm. script so it's a good one to teach. Um, yeah, but yeah, once you know it, 
you can just go off. And it took, probably took me about a year or so after learning, you know, after I really sort of got seriously into it before yeah. I started to get like the level of consistency and neatness that I was happy with and thinking actually I, mm. could, I could viably go out and do this in front of people. Mm. Um, I mean, that's not a year, you know, not, not a full on year. It was like a relaxed, you know, every now and then having a go. But, uh, but yeah, you do need to keep practicing. Mm. And then once you get to a certain stage, if you start experimenting with different scripts, try and just find medieval manuscripts that you like the look of and just try and copy them. Yeah. Um, and then get into, you know, there's a whole world of, you know, different scripts from different eras. So, you know, today I've been teaching Gothic. Um, and it's a very basic Gothic. I'm not going to get into the, the, the categories of it because it, this gets too complicated. But um, so that and a, an unshul, which is like a nice rounded... Um, early medieval so sort of um i think sort of technically third century to eighth century but i think it's all really get hits its zenith about sort of the seventh century sort of you know from the work that you see that that yeah that looks like the kind of thing i'm teaching um, but yeah and then there's from you know from from enjoying the shows enjoying doing the artwork comes this whole other world of um not quite academic study, but it's kind of, you know, that I'm looking at what I'm doing and I'm thinking, you know, how can I find out more about the materials that are used, the scribes that, that are, are doing it, that, you know, the different things people are doing at different times. And there's a whole world of things that I could, I could spend a lifetime, you know, several lifetimes exploring all the areas just related to, to scripts in, you know, medieval yeah. manuscripts in one way or another. Um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting, it's fascinating. Mm. There's always more to learn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Certainly. Yeah, and then there's the the you know the stuff that I've that I do on the side. So the leather work and woodwork that I've done, which is yeah, I really I'm, I I like working with my hands. Um, and you know, if I wasn't doing if I wasn't doing calligraphy, I think I'd be doing leather work by now because it's just I love working with leather. It's such a lovely material. Um, so I make, you know, make things like, you know, my little bags and um, my penner, which is what a scribe would keep his quills and um, yeah. pen knives in. And as you know, I, I I really like that that sort of way of thinking of oh, you know, I need something. How can I make it myself? How can I, you know, yeah. If if you, if you can't buy it, let's make it. I mean, I made a little box and I made all the hin you know hinges and clasps and corners and stuff out of brass myself. It's just Mm. It's just this world of it opens up a sort of um, yeah this kind of whole, whole world of being self-sufficient and not relying on modern products or mm. you know if you need something you can't just go out and buy it and make it yourself and you know, enjoy the process of, of learning how that's done. Mm. So yeah, do, do you have like um, a favourite period, yeah, manuscript-wise? To yeah, most definitely. So if you look at medieval manuscripts you, you as it goes through uh, the ages you can see the changes that are coming along so it starts off at the beginning um you get the the early christian stuff which is which is really nice um, yeah but you know decoratively it's quite simple um you get some lovely drawings but but people aren't going all out for the um for the decoration um and then you get the sort of stage where the Normans um, conquer England and you get a massive change in the quality of manuscripts. So, and it's not a change for the better. It's a, it's a change for the worse. The, the Anglo-Saxon artwork is amazing. It's detailed. It's intricate. It's superbly, you know, delicately, amazingly, stunningly pretty. Um, and then the Normans come <laughs> in and they wipe out the and the artwork goes from this amazing stuff to really quite clunky, really quite, you know, it's still nice by any standards, but it, it's... Hey, look, as a Saxon slash Viking reenactor, <laughs> yeah. if you want to slag off the Normans, <laughs> you're in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so then it takes a little while to get going yeah. again. Um, and the, the period that I really love is... Um, it's the end of the 13th century, beginning of the 14th century. So sort of 1250 to 1350, give or take. Yeah. Um, and it's 
forgot on name that period. It's something like sort of the the you know gothic period of, of I can't remember the exact name. It's definitely got gothic in it, and it's it's a period where manuscripts have stopped being quite so religious. So the secular people are producing manuscripts, and people are buying them as status symbols, and they're um, and they really introduce massive amounts of humour in the the margins and the the illuminations. Right, um, and that's a period. It's really that small sort of period where you start to get the killer snails and the fighting rabbits. And, yeah, uh, you know, I know when you mean. All the yeah. um, the strange grotesques and yeah, yeah. half animal and half you know half human and what have you. Um, and that's that's the period that I really love. It, it's a very graphic style. It's, it's quite cartoony. And if you have a look at some of these that you that you can see here, these are these are all from the same period. Yeah. Uh, I think you sort of you could tell just by sort of the styles and the colours that are used, um, but this one is one that I I I paint these and I sell them at shows. Um, this one I sell a lot of. I have to repaint this one like literally every show at least, and it's it's a nun picking penises off a tree. I was going to ask whether it was my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it actually is. It's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and that comes from a medieval manuscript called The Romance of the Rose. Yeah. Which is, uh, the, the, the text is kind of earlier than the painting, but people are copying these things mm. all the time because they're, they're popular stories. Um, the version where this comes from was done, I think, about the middle of the 14th century, maybe a little bit later, but, but not, not too far. Yeah. And the, uh, the marginalia and the illuminations, was the, the decoration was done by a woman in Paris called Jean de Montbaston. And her and her husband ran a little uh, illumination workshop in Paris, or maybe a big, I don't know, but an illum illumination workshop in Paris. And they were quite well known. Mm. Um, and it's quite sort of well recorded that, that she did this. Her husband might have been dead by this point, so she might have been working on her own, I think. I may be wrong, but uh, that's... Uh, and the theory goes is the Romance of the Rose is a story about how a man would seduce a woman. And it paints the man as kind of controlling and the women as subservient. So it's a little bit misogynistic in, it, in, its, in its way. And even at the time, yeah. some people sort of thought it was incredibly popular. Yeah. Essentially, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a shag manual, I think, <laughs> how you might say it. But... Um, but the, the theory is that she's subverting, she's subverting the text by saying that men think they're in control and that they can seduce a woman, they, they, they can bend a woman to her will. Yeah. And she's saying, yeah, if a woman wants it, she, can, she picks it off a tree. The woman is in control, the man is not in control. Yeah. And there's a whole little story along. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tiny picture on the bottom of the page. So I've blown it up, so it's nice to see. But, mm. And there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a few images in this sort of story of, of her relationship with men and uh, and penises <laughs> so yeah I mean, that's you know a fascinating fascinating insight into the mind of medieval people and then yeah funny yeah. one i just i just like that they're, i think those horses are supposed to be fighting but they definitely look like they're having a hug <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does look more like a hug <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah um, you know it's it's a really nice style to work in and it's it's quite easy to paint which is why I, I'm, i'd be interested to see how the workshop i do tomorrow goes i've not done a full day illumination workshop before um the hard bit is the drawing yeah so if you can draw you're halfway there in the workshop i'm going to get around that by just letting people trace things so right okay I, you know yeah it's, it's much easier to trace things but then it's just, you know, you just block in the colour mm. and that's sort of one stage. And then you add a few highlights, a few low lights, which doesn't take very long. And then you add, a, you know, the, the little white line details, which, again, doesn't take long. And then the last bit is painting all the black outlines, which is a bit fiddly. Yeah. It's maybe the, the toughest challenge. But when you break it down to its stages, it, it's not it's not too difficult. I think you're, anyway, uh, I think you're I, yeah, you're yeah. underselling what you do. I, I think. always say that. My wife says, yeah, not difficult for you. you go, yeah. yeah. No, I know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, yeah, so I was teaching deer butchery today, and you can say to someone, you do this, look, it's really easy to do this. And of course, you watch someone do it. Yeah. And it, yeah. they don't do it because it's the first time they've ever done it. Yes. But, um, yeah, and then you're like, well, you just need to, like, practice. Just keep practicing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you spend hours on it, you'll get good too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
It's having that patience as well. Yeah. But I mean, that's this one of the things I love about when I'm working on these on these kind of things. My my day to day job as a graphic designer is really quite stressful at times and it's a fast paced environment. You know, clients are changing their mind all the time. All the deadlines are yesterday. And yeah, it, it's it's, you know, go, go, go fast, fast, fast. But don't cut on the quality because we're a top notch you know, graphic design agency. And it's, oh, Christ. Yeah, just so, sat in front of a computer all day. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So to be able to sort of do still do something that I love. Yeah. But just change the gear completely to go from, you know, get it done. This is somebody else's, uh, you know, it's their vision, not yours, you know. And I can, okay, I can just completely say, take all that out. I can take as long as I like on these. Um, I can enjoy, I can enjoy the process. You know, in the writing, the calligraphy, I can just, you know, I can craft each letter slowly. It's fine. It's just, it's, it's, it's a very mindful um, way of working. Can you read the script as well or just copy? No, yeah. no. I, I, can, I, I can read the letters so I know the weird letter forms and uh, I can figure out what, you know, what the words are. I don't know what, they, what those words mean. <laughs> Sure. I, I, it's again as i say there's there's so many areas on this that i could spend a, several lifetimes learning that I, yeah i wouldn't mind learning medieval latin or you know old english or something but um it's a task and a half but then to be honest there are some manuscripts where the, the text is worth reading yeah but lots of lots of them the the text is it's it's ecclesiastical it's you know books of hours books of psalms it's all stuff from the bible or um and even the stuff that is interesting like the romance of the rose or some of these you know Arthur, arthurian legends and things the way medieval medieval people wrote isn't particularly fun to read it's quite long-winded and yeah um, it doesn't quite you know in, in in our world where we're used to our kind of humor and our pace of things to 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 enjoy a medieval uh, story can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. Some people can get it right. So some Chaucer is amazing. Um, but sometimes you get to like a story and you get to the end because you can read those translations. These are reading translations. And, you know, you're reading a story and it's, it's, it's all great and fun. And you get to the end and it's like this, just like this weird religious moral thing at the end. They, they, they weren't very good at ending on a, you know, on an exciting point. But mm. Religion and you know morality and stuff were so much more important to them. I you know I get to the end and I go oh is that the ending you know yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you know I did a book um, which I copied only a short story uh, of uh, called the Ghost Knight and mm. it's about um, this knight who falls in love with this woman um, but she's married and but he's always, you know he's, he he declares his love to her and she says how can i love you you've not defeated anyone in in, in a tournament or anything you've not proved yourself to be a worthy man in, in any sort of manly sort of way so he sets up a tournament and he he beats the woman's husband so he's you know so he's proved himself that he's better than the husband because he's betted him in a joust or a tournament or something and then the woman says okay i'll, I'll entertain you come to my house at night and so he goes to the house and um, and he, he goes into the room and the maid comes up and says, oh, my, my wife's with her husband at the moment. You'll have to wait. So he waits and then he falls asleep. So when the wife comes to find him, he's asleep and she's like, she's like, how if you love me, why would you fall? You could not love me if you fell asleep waiting for me. How, you know, how little regard for me if you got that you just you, you got bored and fallen asleep. And so then the, this knight creeps. So she goes back to bed with her husband and the knight creeps into the bedroom where they, where they both are. And you think, oh, this is getting really exciting. And then it just ends on like a religious moral sort of point that is just, you know, the ending just really fizzles out after that. And it's, it's like that, that's quite often how these medieval stories end. It's, uh, yeah. And it's so dark boring. I can't really remember the exact <laughs> ending, which is a, which is a bit that of a proves thing. the point, though, doesn't but it? Yeah, really? I think the, yeah. the man wakes up and thinks the guy's a ghost, um, and yeah, and then you know it's God's will or something, and it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That pot looks like it's about to boil over. It does indeed.
<clears throat> I was going to say, because you said earlier about sort of people copying, did, I think you said yeah. people um, were mostly sort of copying other works. So yeah. would they have been able to understand what they were copying or would it be like yourself where you're just copying what you see? Um, mostly they could understand a little bit. So, I mean, lots of literature only survives today because it's been copied and recopied and recopied. The originals have been long lost. So yeah. things like, um, you know, ancient Greek myths and even things like the Bible, you know, these things, mm. you know, you, you can go back and find the earliest versions and there, there might be a few really early versions that survived, but most of them are, are long gone. Um, and a lot of what a scribe would do would, would, would just be, you know, if you wanted a book, say, you know, you're um, a medieval monastery and you want a gospel, you're going to have to get someone to copy, to, 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 to write one for you. Yeah. So if you've got one already, you'd get it copied. If you haven't got one, you would... Um, you would send off to a friend or, a, you know, a colleague or someone. Someone's got a copy and say, can I borrow your copy or can we come to you and copy mm. your copy? And so there's a huge sort of trade in, in doing that. You could even, like, sometimes pay to borrow somebody's book. There was, like, a system of, of sharing that kind of worked like that. And I think mm. people must have been sharing quite a lot because you see the spread of styles, yeah. you know, really quite rapidly. Like Some of these, like, the, the, the humorous stuff that you see, um, like the, the 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 fighting snails, I think, particularly it starts off in northern France and it takes about sort of twenty or thirty years. Um, then it spread to southern England, uh, where it's fashionable in southern England for a little while, and then it dies out. So you can sort of see that that that, that progression. And I reckon that must be just from people copying, because how how else would you see somebody else's book? Because unless you go to their house, you're not going to see their book. It's not yeah. like today where someone publishes a book and you can buy it at the shop. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted one book, it might take you a year, two years to copy it, to have it copied. And then if you want another one, you go, OK, that's another year or two years. So mm. so lots of lots of scribes have been copying. Less so with the illumination. That tends to be a little bit original each time, which is which is quite nice. Um, you, do, you do see similar things like, for example, in the in a Psalter, which is a book of Psalms, the first page is always it's called a beatus veer which is uh, so it's a, a big initial b because uh, it's the first line of the first psalm yeah the book of psalms so it's, um uh, and it's a book of it's a psalm written by king david and so the first picture is always a big b and in it he's in one one of the the, the gaps in the b he's slaying goliath you know with his sling and the other mm. one he's playing a harp and so that page, because it's in a book which is which is written loads, you know, thousands of psalters and all sorts of qualities from the, the most amazing quality to sort of really quite simple ones. Yeah. But the theme's always the same. So you, you tend to see, you know, the way it's done is, is quite similar from, from book to book. So they're, they're, they're kind of copying, but putting their own slant on it. Uh, but, the, you know, the marginalia in illumination is, is always totally unique, which I think is why it's such a fascinating, it's always the most interesting part of a medieval manuscript, if it's got it. Yeah. Lots don't, lots are just sort of plain texts. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, I love the opportunity to sort of sit there and look through it. Because um, they're all online, so it, it's easy to have a look through. That's fairly easy to get hold of scripts. Yeah. And you can go and look at original ones sometimes. Um, I can go there. I mean, there's the you know Winchester Bible in Winchester Cathedral. It's one that's local to me that I've I've been to see a few times. Um, but you can't see as much as you can on, online. I mean, it, you you don't get that personal connection. Mm. But online, you can really zoom in and see see the detail. Whereas you're looking at them in reality, actually, that the marginalia is so small and intricate that it's hard sometimes to see what's what's going on. You can't really get up close and personal, yeah, because you're not. You know, they're usually behind glass, so you can't touch them. I think we might be about cooked. Maybe a little bit longer. <laughs> We're not far off. <laughs> the day butchering deer, and now I'm butchering Daniel Sarah's recipe. <laughs> <laughs> So, sorry, Dan. 
<laughs> I'll make it properly at some point. But with our limit of ingredients and time constraints, this is what we're having. No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. What I, I'm worried about is coming across a bit of head that I don't want to eat. <laughs> is that what I, mean? I don't know if there's like eyes or teeth or, you know. The version that Daniel does has a dried head and it's basically used to make a fish stock first. Right. You drain off the solids. Ah, okay. But because mine are, they were frozen, but they're fresh. Yeah. If you like, yeah. they're, they're not dried. Um, and I've put it all in the same pot together. Just save us some time. <laughs> So I think we're going to be a little bit careful for a few bones, maybe. Yes. Um, but yes. I think we'll serve up just a bit of barley with like a bit of... A little bit of... If I can see it's, it's like fish. a nice bit of fish meat. That's no nice. eyeballs. That's no. fine. <laughs> no I'm eyeballs, not, no teeth. I'm not doing anything like <laughs> yeah. that. But they, they they were quite meaty chunks, so I think we'll get a nice bit of fish off of there and, mm. yeah. and some barley. Yeah. And we'll still have the other flavours that Daniel uses in his recipe, just in a slightly different context. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just need to find somewhere to buy dried fish heads. Yes, yes. Well, it does dried yeah. fish head shop. It does seem like a nice recipe. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. It's like a nice fish stew. So. Hmm. Yeah, and it's like I don't know anywhere to get non-hulled barley, so we get pearl barley here. Yeah. Which yeah. is not traditional. Is it not? I'm sure that would make a difference as well. Okay, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to taste a little bit of this barley um, and see whether I think it's cooked long enough. Because it shouldn't be far off. I didn't put it in straight away, did I, when we started? No, um, no. So it's probably not at the full hour yet. It might still be a little bit chewy, shall we say? <laughs> chewy I don't mind. Al dente, I think they, they say, don't they? With a... Oh, yes. The Anglo-Saxons were big fans and the yeah, Vikings of yeah. their al dente. <laughs> I'll be honest, it's pitch black. I can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't even know how well people can see me on the camera. Um, I'm fishing around <laughs> for a bit of barley. It looks pretty swollen up. Very yeah, it doesn't look too good. bad. I didn't know this morning when I decided we were going to do this if you'd be game or not. So it's a bit of a gamble. <sighs> I mean, I'm yeah, I'm game. I'm a fussy eater generally, so hey, well, yeah, kind of, but I'm all right with that. You know, most of the stuff that's gone in there is I'll be fine with. Um, it's fairly straightforward, isn't it? There's yeah, nothing... yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. It's not yeah. like I've served up brains or something. No, no <laughs> that, yeah, that would be difficult. So, how long have you been doing the the cooking as a sort of? With an interest, you know, historically. Yeah, so with an interest, I guess, similar to yourself, I would say, probably five years, six years. Mm. But time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, yes. Especially with the pandemic. I find that really, that's thrown me out on everything. It's thrown everything it's out. It's like yeah. that didn't exist. So I, things I think like sort of two years ago, yeah. you know, oh no, I've got to squeeze the, the two or three years of pandemic into that. And I've been doing um, lots of brewing and stuff probably 20 odd years yeah. baking bread that kind of stuff yeah. and it's kind of like crossing the two worlds if you like and mm. and looking into the historical side yeah and even yeah doing reenactment and stuff we've only probably five years you take out the pandemic years you know we're newbies really yeah we haven't yeah we haven't been doing it that long um but it's just spiraled to the point where yeah i'm teaching it which is bizarre <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know yeah, same for me. It's I'm gonna take my glasses off because I need to wipe my eyes occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same for you know. I haven't been doing it that long, but I guess you know there has to be new blood coming into these things, and you can't. I think if everyone waited till they were a, an absolute expert, or if you went and got a degree in it before you could tell anyone, then yeah, you you know it'd be a funny old world. Mm. And I think you know enthusiasm counts for a lot and if you're if you're enthusiastic about getting it right and um and aware of the fact that if you don't know things you know not making it up and not sort of not trying mm. to bullshit people um yeah i think it's fine and you know doing the workshop today mm. you know every time someone asked me a question it was like i know that you know i know i know these i've i spent 
a few years now just immersing myself so much into this that I know all sorts of weird facts about yeah things that you know nobody else would know because it's just it's a very specific knowledge area yeah that's it and when you find over a period of a day like myself today all the little tidbits of knowledge that you've got mm. adds up to quite a lot yeah, it <laughs> so just, compared yeah. to your, yeah. your basic person that doesn't know yeah. almost anything yeah they still pick up a lot of information yeah and i'm not learning it because i think i you know i need to know this to, to sort of tell people i i'm the sort of kind of person that you know oh wow did you know so and so this yeah. that and so and so you know yeah i've gone on many rabbit holes yeah. doing that yeah i mean i yeah i do um yeah i do i, I do go down a lot of rabbit holes um i did an article for um if you know jess and mitch who they're on instagram quite a lot but yes they're... history with jess and mitch, mitch of the third yeah yes. yeah so... i've never met them but i follow them and kind of yeah mutual followers yeah and... i mean they're they I've met them a few times at events and they bought some of my work and they, they commissioned something from me um, last year. So I did like a triptych and I, I made a wooden case and everything. And it was a, a beautiful uh, little portable, like sort of be like an altarpiece sort of thing. But yeah. Mm. Um, and Jess has started a, a magazine called Living History or something on those lines. Living Medieval History. Yeah, some something. <laughs> I didn't realise that that was. Yeah, actually. and I did an article for uh, for that, and I called it um, "Down the Rabbit Hole." It's just you know that yeah. you, you look at a medieval manuscript and you see something odd, and you think, "Oh, I need to look into that." Yeah. And the the thing that I sort of referenced was I was it was a it was a medieval manuscript of a woman hunting a rabbit with a. Uh, uh, with a blunt arrow, so you know, a wooden, a wooden blunt, and that just got me to like a whole sort of thing about sort of, you know, that people using blunts to hunt animals because it wouldn't pierce the pelt. It was more than enough blunt force trauma to kill a small animal, and it's much easier to find your arrows. And you know, archery has always been something that, that women would do for hunting. So mm. it has these kind of like multiple things of you know, oh, I didn't know that, I didn't know that, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a small area and, you know, I do a bit of archery, but I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, a huge enthusiast. I, I enjoy it. I, I like to put a few arrows in the target. I don't really care if I'm that accurate or how far I can shoot. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, every mm. time I look at something in a medieval manuscript, it's like it opens it opens a new door. Mm. Um, yeah. can hear it but i can't see it let's <laughs> have a look i can hear it bubbling so there's definitely liquid in there still yeah i mean they're taking it off the fire it's still bubbling the good thing with clay is they do keep cooking once you take them yeah off. yeah i say good thing it can be a danger they boil over mm. and they just don't stop let's do another little barley check i think that's looking more Mm. Fishy. Barley. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely barley. Mm. I think that'll be okay. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Let's go for it. <laughs> we'll be sat here all night otherwise. I think if I just put you a couple of spoonfuls, I don't know how much. Yeah. I can't see whether I'm trying to see if I've got you some fish in there. I would just, I'll see if I can get you a bit of fish, because I think we should at least try some. <laughs> like good boys, we must eat our fish. I think it might have sort of. Because it's disintegrated. Disintegrated into the, there's a, some hard bones I can feel. You can leave the hard bones in there, that's fine. So you don't want any bones? <laughs> no, no. Let's put some in this one then for me. Yeah, see, I think that's a bone, isn't it? Yeah, it might be like a sort of that sort of fishy cartilage type sort of bone. Yeah. Interesting. I think what I've proved is I should have followed Daniel's recipe. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've got a couple more heads though, so I might try and get something closer to Dan's recipe. Do you not dry them yourself somehow? Like hang them up over a fire or something? There might be a way. Yeah. I'd have to look in for that one. Yeah. But I think what we'll do, we'll have a little taste. Okay. See what you think. I say, watch out for bones because I've got a feeling. I haven't got my glasses on anymore, so everything's a little bit blurry, which may be a good thing if I can't see exactly what I'm putting into my mouth. Yeah. I've never cooked a fish head, so I don't know how many little bones there are. I've got a bit of fish, actually. Perhaps to chew carefully. Mm. Eating in the dark. I think there are quite a few bones in mm. Yep, yep, I've got some bones. Be just so careful. I think we'll get a general taste for the dish and then realise that Craig fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> we should have. I mean, it tastes nice. It's, um... yeah. It's quite, quite simple, I guess, isn't it? It's just, mm. you know, in the main, it just tastes of fish. I think barley's always there just to bulk out mm. anything you put in. It doesn't have a huge amount of taste. The fish itself is quite nice. Mm. But I think, um, trying to make sure I'm not picking up too many bones here. Yeah. Stick to the recipe is what we've learned today. <laughs> I didn't have time with us sat here to boil the heads, drain the heads, run off down the site with a pot, drain it off. Yeah. 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 So for today, this has had to work. Mm. So it's very adapted in a bad mm. fashion. <laughs> but I've had worse. <laughs> no, it's, no, honestly, it's, it's actually really nice. Brave review yet again on the podcast. <laughs> had worse. Mm. Sit damning with faint praise. Mm. I mean, we were also eating venison before. Mm. Which, yeah, uh, so that very nice already. Yeah, that looks very bony to me. Yeah, yeah, salt dough. And I'll be honest, I was eating cheesy barley with the venison mm. and blood breads. So I've eaten a fair amount already. Mm. I'm getting dill. I'm going to toast yeah. the dill. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There was meant to be dill seeds. Again, I've never come across dill seeds. No, no. So I had to use dill. But given a bit more time, I think I need to find the right ingredients and do down some justice. Mm. Mm. Oh. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> We do have six questions that I ask every guest. Oh, okay, yeah. yes. Take, take Go the for it. food out of my moustache first. <laughs> so the first question is, if you had an unlimited budget, what would be your dream project? Oh, I mean, that's an easy one. I, I'd want That was own. a quick Oh, no, no. <laughs> I know. I'd want yeah. my own medieval village. Yeah. I mean, you know, something like this. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, yeah, I... I'd have to convince my wife or something, but I'd want to live there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't some, you know, I sometimes think, like I think about this all the time, but you know, like, you know, um, Guadalon in France, where they're building the castle. Um, Don't think I've come across it. Look it up. No. It was on TV with, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, yeah. Uh, I can't think what her name is. It might come to me, but they, they did a TV program about it, sort of, uh, building the medieval castle but it's, it's, it's this project in France mm. where from scratch they built a castle using only medieval techniques and it's been it's taken them I can't remember <coughs> Sorry. 15, 20 years 25 years I, I don't know mm. it's, um, and it's going slower than it would do a normal medieval castle because there's not many people working on it it's volunteers and it's taking its time but, yeah. but everything is done 100% authentically there's you know um, and it's an amazing project. I, I've, I've not been to see it. Um, and I think it's due to be finished like this year or next year or something. It's, it's nearing completion. Um, and it's on my sort of like must list things mm. of, of things to do. But, but yeah, I, you know, I, I would like, I would like to buy something like this, a little plot of land. Yeah. Um, I'd like to get, you know, 
from my own sort of point of view, because I like a little bit later medieval. Mm. Um, I'd like a you know a nice stone building or something. Um, yeah, I do every I do occasionally have a look around, like on French property websites. You know, you quite often can buy like really dilapidated, rundown buildings, but they do have like some real age behind them. Yeah, and you think, oh, I could you know, if I don't. If I don't want to live in it as a modern house, if I don't need a like, you know, I don't need a bath or, um, you know, Wi-Fi or something, it's it's like I could have a little plot of land with a little house and you know some animals like the sheep that aren't quite coming in here but are just outside, you know, a donkey and some geese and something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be me. That's yeah. I, I, I... <laughs> well, not not that I thought about it much. <laughs> I'm going to say that came pretty quick to you, that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the next question. Yep, okay, go for it. Do you think you could survive on a Viking Age diet? Yes. I think you'd have to, wouldn't you? Otherwise you'd die. <laughs> uh, I, th I think, you know, I could, I could survive on any diet after a while. I think you'd have to get used to it. But, yeah. Um, Lots of but, this. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely miss cereal and... Um, You've already answered the next question. Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got to ask me what I miss. That's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, the, the, the follow-on question. I mean, you don't have to jump off of this one yet, mm. but yeah. The next question is, is there any food you'd miss on a Viking? Oh, food I'd miss. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'd be quite happy with like you know, bread, cheese, beer. You know, it's fine. <laughs> it's like there's there's a a meme that you see on social media sometimes where it says you know, medieval people only lived on bread, cheese, and beer, and you go, yeah, <laughs> I'm happy with that. Hard life. Um, yeah, tea, tea and coffee. Hmm. Um, really, I mean, I, you know. I wouldn't miss it that much. I, I would get used to it, but I, I, I'm quite a, a ritualistic person in, in, in my days. So I like to wake up and have a cup of coffee, and then I have a cup of tea at eleven, and another cup of tea at three, give or take. But it's just—it's how I break up my day. It's like, yeah. you know, whatever I do in the morning, whether it's you know, starting whatever projects at work or something. It's like, well, I'm going to get that finished by eleven. I'm going to have a nice break, have a cup of tea, mm. biscuit, some, you know relax for a bit and yeah. it, it it breaks up my day um yeah hot drinks mm. really yeah i definitely miss hot hot drinks what's the worst thing you've ever eaten oh <laughs> again i don't have to think too hard about this um uh, i have yeah i've always been quite a fussy eater i think i, I might have said earlier mm. um uh, i find fine with most things but when i was a child my mum used to make this sausage and tomato pie, um, and it's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> it's an interesting combination. I don't think I've come across that one before. It's essentially like mashed potato. Okay. Um, I'm down so far. Yeah, so you mash up the potato and then throw in some sausages, uncooked, and okay. then some, you know, drain off some tomatoes, tin tomatoes, chuck those in, cook it for a bit longer. And that's it. And mm -hmm. the, the the smell of it, uh, oh, it makes me want to red. <laughs> Just I was traumatised by it. I think it was quite an easy thing to make. Yeah. I mean, I, I know my mum won't be watching this, so if you are mum, I'm really, really sorry. But... I'll send her the link afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it, as when I say the worst thing, it is maybe the thing, one of the things that sort of, an easy trauma to go back to if you see what yeah. i mean uh, otherwise yeah. I'm, I'm you know i'm a little bit fussy about stuff that i won't put in my mouth so my brother used to live in leon mm. for, for for years um i used to go and see him and uh the the leonese food is famous through france it's a delicacy and stuff but it's all the bits you don't want to eat it's all the offal and mm. it's, it's you know tripe and chewy bits and pieces and it's like no, I, I, I can't I can't be facing that. That's yeah. 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 Alright, so the next question is what's the most memorable meal you've ever had? 
Mm, that's interesting. In a good way. <laughs> it can Not go either way. That's, yeah, your interpretation. To, um, it could be memorable for either reason. Yeah. I mean, what's springing to mind? Probably a few things, but and again, I don't. I I really don't want to 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 diss my mum too much. But um, when I met my wife, um, I was quite young. I think I was only like nineteen when we started going out. Um, and it just sort of opened my eyes to a world of flavour that I hadn't like experienced before. Like I think you know, the first time I went for a curry, mm. I was like sort of maybe nineteen, twenty. And it was like, I think my mum would always assume I wouldn't like curry because it's, you know, it's spicy and things. But I just, you know, I, I love the flavours. And I, I, yeah, I remember going round um, to have dinner with my girlfriend and her mum. I think we'd only just started going out. And I think it was something really simple like salmon. Um, but my mum still sort of says, oh, I remember that. You know, I came home and I was raving about how, you know, what a nice meal I'd had. And it's like... You know, and I, I, I look back at it. It's, I think it was like a really, probably like a really simple salmon with like a honey and mustard dressing on or something. But yeah, my my mum was kind of she came up in the in the seventies. She learned to cook in that sort of you know meat and two veg sort of style. Um. So yeah, my wife will like that because yeah, yeah, meals that I've had with her. Mm. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, the very last question. Okay. Yep. Hopefully not too much of a shock for you, but you've died. Okay. Oh, that's your family a and friends are preparing your grave goods. Yes. What food and drink do you get to take to the feast in Valhalla? Oh, oh, crikey. Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, the feast in Valhalla is a different thing. I mean, if I've gone to heaven... Yeah, <laughs> which is a different place entirely. But one one of my favourite places in in the world ever um, is in the bath. I mean, if um, my my brother will tell you that every time he rings up, I'm in the bath. Yeah. <laughs> and when I'm in the bath, I like I like to read. I like I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm not in there to wash. Washing is like I'll, I'll I'll get that done at the end. But I'll sit there and I read a book. Yeah, and. Um, <clears throat> might want to pause for a second and yeah, yeah. Let's just wait for that to... <laughs> it doesn't help we're letting it die down now because we're going to be leaving it <laughs> yes but it's making it get smoky yeah yeah so uh, yeah back so, in the bath <laughs> yes i'm back in the bath slightly paused because we were being smoked out yeah um but yeah so in the bath with uh, a bar of chocolate something you know dark Doctor, that sort of seventy percent cocoa, something like that, and, and a good book, and mm. um, yeah, that's 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 where I'm really happy. That wouldn't go down too well in the old halls of Valhalla, I think. Um, <laughs> You're just sat there in your bar. <laughs> yeah, but I do love um, like a really good, nicely cooked steak. You know, that sort of where you get that sort of like that that smoky, flame grilled sort of ness on the outside, and, mm. and inside is sort of lovely and tender something you don't have to chew on yeah 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 mm. i think that would that would fit the bill at Valhalla. and uh yeah it's hard to beat something like you know where you get that lovely the the, the fat's gone all caramelized sort of on the outside and yeah yeah good sort of somewhere between rare and medium rare so it's just you know it's nice and red inside still but yeah yeah what would you wash it down with uh, beer. Beer. Anything beer. in particular? Um, if I had to choose one. Mm. Don't have to name names, but you know. Um, uh, a, yeah. a Ringwood, um, I think it's like the 49er. That's what it's called. Ringwood Brewery. Mm. And we're only down the road from Ringwood Brewery here, aren't we? So yeah. it's, and it, it's, I did their, they do a tour so you can go around and see the brewery and trial their beers. Um, and yeah, my, my, my favourite one by far was was the 49er which is a kind of it has like golden malt so it's not like it's not too hoppy mm. it's not you know it's, it's it hasn't got like the, the any sort of stoutiness it's that nice sort of it's a dark golden mm. yeah yeah that and a steak that'd be lovely, lovely. perfect together yeah yeah 
Awesome. Wow. So where can people find you online? Do you want to give yourself a plug, social media, website? Yeah, like so the, the best place by far is Instagram. So um, at Hiaobeert, which is H-I-O-W-B-E-O-R-H-T. Um, it's nice complicated. It's, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I could have picked something easier, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but it's an Anglo-Saxon word, which means colourful. So right. the hiao is hue, like a, the hue of a colour. Yeah. The bayort is bright. So oh, it's okay. like hue, bright. If you switch those around, it's like bright hue. So that's, you know, it's the Anglo-Saxon yeah. word for colourful. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I mean... It was kind of my wife's idea because because I do the illumination calligraphy. I I wanted to say, I wanted to call it something like inky nibs or something, you know, yeah, uh, calligraphy related. But my wife does embroideries and um, tablet weaving and things. She said, oh, that yeah, but that doesn't include me. So let's do, let's pick a word that that just you know that says we are just doing colourful artistic medieval mm. things, and that word fit the bill. Um, but it's a it's it's a pain. I was at an event. I was at Lewis, um, beginning of the year, or one of the first events I did in, the, in May, I think it was, beginning of May. And the guy was reading out the traders who were at the event, and he said, you know, at this stall, you know, you can buy, you know, um, you know, Lionheart replica pewter badges and stuff, and blah blah blah. And then he got to my one, and he just I, I knew he got to me mm. on the channel, and he's saying, and oh. And there was a pause. He said, I, I can't even pronounce that. And he skipped on and <laughs> read somebody else. He missed, missed me out entirely. And it's like, mm. oh. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, so Instagram's the place to go. I have got a website. Yeah. Um, the website's really good. If you want to find a medieval event going on this year, I have a list of events that I'm at, but I also list all the events that I come across that I'm not at as well. So there's, there's nowhere that I've found that's a comprehensive list of medieval events in England. Mm. Um, so I thought that, you know, it would be a nice thing for people to to see all the things that are going on. Mm. Um, I mean, there's 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 lots of little ones that I haven't got, but I think I've captured most of the main ones. So I've got at least, I think it's all like 20 plus yeah. events listed on my website. So it's good for that. Yeah. Is that the same as your Instagram yes. handle? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't even say it myself. Hialbayert.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's it there's also facebook and maybe other things i don't know but but the instagram's the the, the, the place main to one. find me really yeah if you want to see what i'm up to brilliant well thank you for coming on that's right it's been a pleasure yeah and if anyone wants to see a bit more then head over to patreon uh for just a couple of pounds you can sign up and see three more questions with ben and some other past guests as well thanks for listening or watching whichever it is <laughs> forget myself now <laughs> bye Bye. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give the show a rating. You can also help keep the show going by becoming a Patreon where you'll get early access to all episodes. Or check out my range of merch on my store. Links are in the episode description. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 